Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Be Customer Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. I've got a really amazing guest for you this week. Itai Hertz is the Chief Executive Officer at Loris AI. Now, Loris is a really interesting organization. We're going to get into what they do, but they're working with some of the world's fastest growing companies to have better conversations with their customers. And I cannot wait, just because the topic is super interesting, the conversational AI is just really blowing up a lot. Loris is doing some pretty amazing things in this space. Itai, welcome to the show. So excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. Absolutely. So Itai, the first question we ask every one of our guests is, and you've got a really cool and interesting journey too, just what is just share your journey with our listeners. And even like what were some of the more differentiating factors for you in your career and certainly leading into being the CEO of Loris? Yeah, so I started my career actually as a corporate attorney. So I went from undergrad to law school and then on to a big firm and I was doing M&A, private equity VC stuff. And I did that for a bunch of years, advising a lot of startups. And then I was trying to kind of figure out a way to do these on my own. I started advising a lot of people who were kind of my mm-hmm. age and had really great ideas. And I thought I had some too. So I left in 07 to start an investment company with partners that were in Europe, investing in distressed assets. So the timing was pretty good, but then the recession yeah. happened and it was kind of a tsunami and we couldn't get anything to work. So I went from like a fancy office to struggling to, to get any business off the ground. I was renting a windowless room from friends who were running small companies. Wow. And, uh, but in that process, I learned a lot. I started a few businesses that failed. I had a couple of things that went pretty well. So I had a real estate company that, su- that was successful. And then I had a payments company I started in 2008 to basically compete with PayPal for a brick and mortar. And that grew pretty quickly. And in 2010 or so, I met founders of the first iPad-based point-of-sale system in the app store and in the country, basically. It was called Shopkeep, one of the first SaaS companies in New York. And we hit it off and I ran around the country looking for anyone building on iPads. And that whole space really took off. In 2015, they, they bought our business, we joined them. And then now uh, we grew that business from 14 or so to almost 50 million of revenue and sold that company to a public company in Canada. Wow. So that was a really cool journey. And then, uh, and then on to Loris. Awesome. Um, Let's talk about Loris for a little bit. Just tell, you know, share with our listeners what you guys do, the space that you're focused on. And like, what differentiates you guys? So Loris was, was founded on the idea of bringing more empathy in the world. And we started in customer service because it's probably one of the hardest jobs out there. So we originally addressed this through real-time suggestions to help agents, guide agents on how to apologize, how to validate, mm-hmm. how to open conversations and close conversations. And then as we got more sophisticated, we've been able to expand our real-time technology to actually provide guidance to agents on their specific policies, how to answer the question that's in front of them. So imagine agents are dealing with many conversations at the same time. People mm-hmm. are upset. Sometimes they're not. Some want to cancel. Some are happy. And navigating that for agents around the world is incredibly challenging. So we keep people focused on the task at hand. We're able to drive better efficiency, better, better quality, better policy adherence, and ensure that churn is low and, and, and LTV and CSET are high. Very cool. I, I love what you guys are doing in this space. Could, let's talk about just sort of conversational AI generally, just really quickly, and just the evolution of it, because it really has evolved in a pretty significant way over the last couple of years, right? You've got your simple chatbots or dumbbots, whatever you want to call them. Obviously, 
live agent chats to present day. Like, how has the market for you and what you've seen, not only through Lores, but just, just the space overall, what are some of the bigger differences that you've seen from an evolution perspective? And how has that really changed even how, how you guys approach the market? So it was actually a big weekend for the space. You've heard, if Google basically came out with something they think that they've developed a sentient uh, bot of, of sorts. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot here about kind of the history and where it all started. In the 50s, it was the first time that someone theorized that computers could interact with humans. It was Turing. And then there was a, the first chatbot was developed by MIT in like 64 called Eliza. Yeah. And it would kind of m- make you think that you were talking to someone. If you said mother, it would ask you a question about family. So it kind of tried to replicate humans. The first chatbots really started coming out in around 2001, and then smartphones became a thing. So that really helped get chatbots off the ground. And it started off really with just ask, asking a single question, single response, very domain-specific. And then 2008, IBM, Watson beat Jeopardy. That was a big deal. And then what happened over the last kind of 15 years is just more and more interactions between humans and machines that has developed in the last couple of years what we call the, the golden age of NLP. So... 2008 neural networks started to improve NLP tasks, incorporate larger context. The databases got better and small companies were able to just manipulate this stuff and, and get really, really smart very quickly. Now, Google's come out with this thing that almost looks like you're reasoning with a human being when you're talking in chat. This is 48 hours ago. So that's like a huge development and that will go down in the bullet points of history, I'm sure, at some point. But today, so what this allows us to do at Loris is we can do very sophisticated things. So not only understanding the intent and the sentiment, the topic of the inbound message, but also being able to sift through tons of data and give you the right policy suggestion at the right time based on the emotion of the end user to ensure that these agents are having the best conversation they could possibly have. And that's all being surfaced in real time, sort of this ongoing quasi kind of coaching solution. And do you see that really happening in the enterprise space? Is it mid-market or do you like where do you kind of really see that type of technology getting picked up? So what's cool about today is it used to be only available for large enterprise clients. The whole category is pretty new, although there are a lot of folks that have been in the space, around the space, but being able to suggest text and language and policy within a second, that's very, very new. Usually reserved only for large enterprise clients, and we're really bringing that to to the mid-market and even below. So we very much want to enable all companies, small and big, to, to be able to do that. And for the first time ever, because of all these advances happening at the same time, we're able to, to effectively actually do that. So B2C, B2B, small. I want to talk about B2B because that's a really different space than the B2C space, excuse me, rather, right? Before we get there, though, like when you are engaging with your clients and they're, and they're giving you feedback on the platform, like what are some of the experiential or loyalty points of feedback that you're getting? Like, how does Loris.a fit into like the whole sort of customer experience continuum? Because essentially, you're hel- I think you're helping agents deliver a better on-call experience in real time, which leads to another thing, right? Like, and I'm just going to assume, like, I want to hear from you, but like, lower handling time, higher experiential scores for agents, higher experiential scores for customers, and, and the brand overall, better engagement. What I'm curious though, as well, is just like, what are the, some of the benefits that you guys are seeing from your customers on your end? Maybe some of those are. But also, if you think about it, where you might have, are you, is it just contact center? Are you like going into sales and other customer facing kind of roles as well? Like, I'm just curious to hear about that. Oh, there's a lot of questions there. Yeah, no, it's um, a lot of questions. We could, well, let's start with the first one. 
what are some of the benefits that you are seeing from a loyalty and customer engagement perspective when you are working with your clients on, on delivering the solution? So kind of table stakes when you start engaging with a, with a client or a prospect is, can you improve my handle time? Can you improve my quality? Number one, that's hard to measure for folks. People have different KPIs. They understand that world in different ways. Yeah. So we bring that kind of first and foremost, improvement in inefficiency, 20 plus percent improvement in CSAT, NPS, et cetera. And what's been interesting in the last six to 12 months is we've been able to really hone in on some really differentiating things like limiting churn, boosting LTV, predicting your coupon spend. Just there's a lot of decisions that agents have to make around dollars, around saving customers, what are customers worth to them and how, they, how should they interact. We're really able to guide agents in a way that is very, very material and objective. So CX leaders can say, hey, I just saved a million dollars a year in my coupon spend because Laura's predicted what I should give you because Bill is a fantastic mm. customer, is super loyal, and he deserves a huge refund, exchange, et cetera, whereas someone else, they, I should just talk to them. I shouldn't be doling out coupons all day. Also, we have a lot of companies coming to us now with, I want to churn is the biggest thing I have to keep my existing customers. How do I limit mm. churn? What should I upsell them with? And now, because of the downturn in the market that's upon us, folks are, this kind of delves into the second part of your question. They're asking, well, what are my agents doing today? Can they do more? So can I upsell with them if things are going well and I've turned a bad conversation mm -hmm. a good one? Is that a good opportunity to now say, hey, by the way, do you want to upgrade to a better plan? Do you want to order more from us, et cetera? That's a super interesting shift that I expect to really exacerbate over like the next few months. That's awesome. So are you seeing the technology being more, not just from an agent perspective, but are you, are, are your clients also, do you like, are they putting it in front of salespeople or others in their organization that are customer facing that could benefit from something like that? At the moment, we're starting with, with the customer facing side on CX and, and customer service. Mm -hmm. We are getting requests to have those people start to do some selling. And also, can we take this into a, into a sales motion? But we're not, we're not there yet. We found that over the last few years, I mean, think about the last X number of products or, or applications mm -hmm. that you bought. You download an app, you get started. And the only time you really interact with a brand is when something bad happens. So you're talking about customer service. So it's up to them to do a lot. They have to save mm -hmm. you, keep you happy, potentially upsell you. Kind of, They're holding down the fort for the entire org. So it's a really interesting relationship and, and pipe of, of dialogue that's happening there. I've got to imagine also that you guys are also improving employee engagement scores of these agents, right? You're giving them tools to perform better. One, you're making their life easier because you're surfacing policy for them, et cetera, et cetera, based on the conversation. Have you guys got any feedback on that? Or is that just something that you guys assume is happening and just yeah, a sort a of like question. a side, side of it? So it's a huge, huge focus for us is to basically empower the human, right? To make that mm -hmm. job better. It's a super difficult job. You're not typing and probably in a language. English is not second, third even language of, of a lot of agents around the world. Tons of pressure on them. So we are very focused on making sure the agents like it. They can handle many conversations at the same time. We actually did a study, Harvard Business School did a study on our agents and how they perform when they use us and they're empowered and they feel much happier and better than they, when they're happier, the, the end user is happier. So it does actually translate to the bottom line for the brand. Making your agents happier and more effective will, will do wonders for, for your company. Very cool. Hey, I don't know if the uh, if that work is public, but if I can include it in the show notes for listeners, that'd be pretty it's, cool. It's to, coming uh, soon. Yeah, it's coming. Oh, cool. We'll awesome. see about the timing, uh, but it's close. Yeah. Awesome. So l let's talk about just sort of the rush to digitalization. You know, I, I think that just the pandemic has really accelerated, I guess is the right word to use. There's also this thread of rehumanization of the workforce. And I think that something like Loris like, helps in that process. Do you see some folks pushing away technology 
as a result of companies pushing more digital towards them? Or do you think businesses need to be smarter around how they're engaging their customers through different mediums, agents being one of them, perhaps? Yeah, I think it's a super tricky balance for companies on that mix of technology and humans. If you think about where we're going to get to in five or 10 years, you might start to Mm -hmm. think that maybe a, a bot would be good enough to answer all your questions and leave you happy. But it's probably not the case. It's, right. it's doubtful that the tech will get there. When we talk to leaders of large CX orgs, they all say some semblance of this, which is if in five or 10 years, there's 10 companies in my space and everyone's trying to digitize everything, it's all bots, then I'm going to have a human in the loop because everybody wants a white glove service and then I'm going to win. And then everyone else is going to have to have a human in the loop. So you're basically going to get to this world of human plus machine being the best outcome. And that's kind of the bet that we make here is that's the, the best outcome for for end users. So it's a, it's a whole like process between where we are today and where that goes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's people figuring out what channels they want to find. They, everyone says, I want to go to where my customers are going. If they want chat, I have to provide chat. Yep. It's easier said than done. It's tough for a lot of folks that have been doing something the same for 15 years to switch. And But that's, that's the nature of the world we're, we're in right now. You have to kind of go to your customers in that way. Have you seen maybe the complexity of the interactions because people are using chatbots, et cetera, for like the more sort of mundane kind of tasks, like change my password, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Have you seen sort of the complexity of the conversation changing, getting more advanced over time as this technology has starts to be put into place more and more? Yes. It, as I mentioned at the, at the top, the yeah. chatbots were able to do really simple things like set an appointment or what's my password. Yep. And yep. there's also self-service tools and a bunch of different things that try to direct self-help for customers. So what that's doing is siphoning off the really easy conversations for the agent. So agents who used to have part of their day dealing with easy conversations, part of their day mm-hmm. dealing with difficult conversations, they're now inundated with difficult because the easy is gone. And that's just going to keep going. So the agent's job is going to keep getting harder and folks are going to try to automate more of the easy stuff. So the agents are really kind of they really need tools to help them deal with this new world as their pressure keeps mounting and the expectations of end users, especially through COVID, has gone through the roof. People think their brands owe them a lot and, mm-hmm. and they take that out oftentimes on agents. So agents really have to step up. It's getting harder and harder for them. So it's a, it's a really interesting evolution. Yeah. And then, I mean, then you've got sort of the great resignation thrown on top of that. You've got a lot, you've got probably agent churn happening more and more, oh, right? Yeah. For sure. Just actually Forrester recently came out with some recent research around their customer experience index has fallen for the first time in, in several mm. years. It's been pretty flat for a number of years. I'm sure yeah. sort of the, that churn has had something to do with it. You talked to, you, you mentioned B2C versus B2B at the top of the show. For you, what do you think, Itai, some of the differences are when your clients, either B2C or B2B, are using the, the technology, how does it differ for them even from a benefit perspective, perhaps? So B2C tends to solve for similar things. A lot of it is speed, and they want to maintain quality at a certain level, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a subscription-based business, then mm-hmm. obviously loyalty, churn, and LTV, things like that are really important. We actually didn't know that B2B was going to be that good for us. We started off in B2C. We got inbounds from a lot of B2B companies, and it's actually turned out to be pretty, pretty phenomenal. There's a lot of challenges for B2B companies from a QA and CSAT perspective. A lot of B2B companies deal with more complicated problems. They need critical thinking. They need to sometimes just get so deep in the weeds, they kind of skip the empathy part. Mm-hmm. And then their quality suffers. And their CX leaders, oh my God, we have to fix this. And how do we do that? And to add to that, in B2B, they, generally speaking, people don't get a lot of survey results. 
yeah. 15, 20, 25% maybe. B2B yeah. seems to get a lower amount of surveys. So they have just, they're like in the dark and, they, and these leaders are really sophisticated and smart. They just want more visibility. So I didn't mention we also have a, a back office insights tool for our C-suite leaders, cool. team leads, QA, and they basically get scored on 100% of conversations. That is helping a lot of B2B companies surface up issues, not just related to CX, but hey, product, you said this thing came out, it was going to fix this thing. I'm seeing trends here. It's not working. Mm -hmm. Or marketing, you ran a campaign, by the way, I'm, we're seeing spikes around this. People are asking for these things. And now these, these B2B CX leaders can actually bring these issues to the C-suite and get ahead of it. And instead of being re reactive, they're proactive. And they can go to all different departments and kind of lay out what they're seeing in, in the text of their conversations. So it's been really fascinating. That's awesome to see. I, I think even from where I am on my side, I see a lot of X and product people coming together more and more, sharing ideas and learnings. I'm even seeing sometimes organizations have CX reporting to product. JP Morgan is a, you know, a huge organization. Actually, their product organization actually has CX embedded into the organization. Sometimes I'm even seeing the inverse where you have like a chief experience officer and now owns product too. So it's kind of cool to see that evolution and things starting, those insights starting to come together where customer experience insights are being embedded into product teams has led to better user stories, lower technical debt, et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty cool to see that evolution. I hope it, it continues. One of, one of the things we really try to do every day here is empower the CX leader to have a bigger voice in those mm -hmm. meetings in the C-suite. They typically, what does the CTO think? What is that a product? Does the marketing, obviously. And CX oftentimes comes last. Now, if, there, if there are issues, let us know. But we want to empower the CX leader to kind of come to the table with everything they're saying. Think about how valuable those conversations are. It's your customers telling you what they think about your company, mm -hmm. about your product, about your service. It's incredibly valuable if you can use that to your benefit. And that's yeah, kind of and where it, this is all going. Yeah, and the, and the contact center, or even just customer-facing employees generally, are such a huge signal in terms of what's happening across your customer base that I think that there are a lot of organizations, unfortunately, that are not looking at it and not digitizing those conversations and, and mining them for, for insights. I think that's changing more and more. I've seen the tide shift in the last, let's say, 12 to 18 months. But I think that part of that was sort of the technology being expensive. But I think that's obviously evolving in a, in a major way as well. It's table stakes today. Oh, yeah. for sure. I mean, it, it absolutely is. It's in, and it's a game changer in your business too, for sure. Itai, what's on the horizon in this space for you? When you think about this sort of real-time understanding of what's happening in the, in the conversation, surfacing insights, where do you think it's going to go next? Like, Don't obviously share any strategic plans for your company. Obviously, I know you wouldn't do that anyway, but like, or even like, where do you hope it's going to go? So if you think about the ideal experience for the, the end user of a brand, mm -hmm. they're probably within, I don't know how many years, they're going to inbound to a company and they're going to basically vacillate between a bot and a human, but they won't know the difference. So Bill will inbound. He'll get he'll be asked some questions, maybe some mundane tasks. If I'm the agent, will be done for me while I focus on using my judgment and my reason to get you to the best place possible. So for Bill, he'll have the best experience ever, but he's not going to be talking to a bot. He's talking to, as far as he knows, a human the entire time. And on the other side of the screen, there are going to be a lot of things happening that automate the really mundane things for the agent. Mm -hmm and letting the agents spend their time and their effort really on using their judgment and letting the, the machines sift through large amounts of data so the humans don't have to do that anymore. 
I love that. I mean, what a utopian kind of world that would be where an agent isn't sitting there typing notes and figuring what category and subcategory am I putting all this stuff in, right? It's just they're really listening, trying to leveraging those empathy skills, letting the machines do sort of those mundane tasks, as you said. What a better experience that's going to be. Say we're working on it. I don't have the right analogy yet, but we're working on uh, someone said it's almost like you're like a Tesla, right? It's not self-driving. You have to touch the wheel once in a while, fix the knob and do something else. Like actually, we're helping you drive three Teslas at the same time, right? Like, I have to jump between. I have to make sure this, and that's just going to get better and better. It's almost me like when I think about like the the no code or low code, right? Like, program even today is is about typing, but programming in the future is about talking, right? So totally. it's about how do you have that conversation on a human to human level? I love the Tesla analogy. Um, uh, but how do you just have a conversation on a human human level and then just leverage the technology to do the heavy lifting for you as a as a person, but being able to connect in a much deeper way with the other person on the other line? And I'm I'm really like steeped in metaverse right now and just researching it. Like how cool, you know, would that also be sort of in that environment where you have the agent kind of avatar, that salesperson avatar engaging with the customer and not worrying about sort of doing 50 different things around them totally. um, in, a, in, a, in a digitally immersive environment too. Yeah. There's some really sophisticated things that are actually happening now. Like we're enabling, I, I can share this, we're, we're enabling CX leaders to now come up, let's say with some sort of workflow or policy that they want to try out. They can A-B test it, no code mm-hmm. in the back office. And they can line up a bunch of agents to try one version and a bunch of agents to try another and see what works better. Cool. Because we, we heard even... A year ago, we heard from folks. My team has grown to hundreds or thousands of people. They're everywhere. I have no idea what anyone's doing. I'm trying to get QA. I'm trying to get a score. I can't feel it out. And in such a short amount of time, we can basically say, like, this policy is doing X, Y, and Z for you. This policy is not. And you can just get better and better and keep iterating, getting smarter. In real time, it's pretty phenomenal. That's huge. The QA piece is really big. I I, I don't want to glance over that. I think that so many companies really invest a lot of money in QA. So if you can automate that process or automate as much as possible, it's a huge cost to serve win for your organization. And when I was at Freddie Mac, we we were using something different for the QA piece, but we automated. We had eight people just doing QA, listening to like 2% of the calls coming in, right? And then you automate it and you're listening to, in theory, you're listening, quote unquote, to 100% of the calls and then say, okay, well, let's get these people on the phones or let's let's find what other skills that they want to hone and repurpose them in, in an organization. It's a huge benefit from a contact center perspective, be able to leverage the technology for that. Itai, I've started a process here on the show where I ask the previous guest to ask a question of the next guest. So I've got a question from you. My previous guest is actually used to head up customer experience for the entire retail organization for Chase Bank guy by the name of Marbu Brown, mentor to me, amazing individual. He's writing a book on customer obsession, actually, former Amazon. And he wanted to, his question to you is, does your company have one policy that makes your customers or competitors make them do a double take because it's so favorable to your customer, your direct, your, your client? So, and you may not, that's okay. But it is... Yeah, the way you guys operate, does it have customer or your clients come to me like, wow, that, that has never happened to me as a customer. I love that you guys are doing that. So yeah, I was trying to understand and interpret the question. The first thought I had was the aha moment we get CX leaders tell us all the time. You pitch us, you tell us what your, what your product's going to do. And I, I kind of understand it. 
And then I see an agent use it. And after three clicks, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it does that. <laughs> but I, I guess from an internal standpoint, policy-wise for us as a business, I think our our CX team is absolutely above and beyond anything that kind of exists in this space. So mm-hmm. folks come to us and they say like, AI is this thing and I know I need to use it, but what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. And just us and our data team as well, spending the time to kind of show them what's possible. We always start off in one lane and then they go, oh my God, can you do two, three, four, five for me as well? <laughs> and that's really a testament to our CX team, educating them, working with them, really being building partnerships. People look to us like an AI partner for them. I and mean, that's very much what we want to do. It's making, cool. it's beneficial for both sides, but it's it's pretty unique moment in time for the space and the product that we're building. So we're very lucky that we have such a strong team. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to flip it to you now. What question do you have for my next guest? So I guess I would ask the biggest struggle they've encountered building their business that they've learned from. So the, the one mistake they they won't let themselves make again in their life. Mm-hmm. I love hearing about about those kinds of painful lessons that people take with them. That's a great, that's a great, great question. I'll be sure to ask it and let you know when it's coming up as well, or at least get you, I'll I'll email you the answer to that. All right, Ty, final question for you. Where do you go for inspiration? So I I try to consume a lot of data, books, podcasts, articles. I have a lot of groups, WhatsApp groups, Slack groups, Mm -hmm. friend groups, where we filter basically information for each other. So I make sure that I'm always staying on top of kind of what's happening, trying to learn new things. So you feel very humble. You feel like you don't know anything ever. But the first place I guess my mind goes, obviously, is to my kids. I have three little kids. And every, uh, we just talked about it before we started taping, they had a big sports weekend this weekend. But every day they do something that just awes you. And this little thing that they appreciate that you stopped and you probably take for granted now. And you're like, life is too important. That is super, that's a really cool moment. I got to remember that that's, that's what matters. And the rest is take it or leave it. So I think I would say my kids every day give me inspiration to, to push. I totally I totally, that totally resonates with me. I mean, I've, we've, we've talked about this. I've got three little ones as well. And I love talking, well, at least for the nine and the seven-year-old, the four and a half-year-old isn't there yet. But I love asking them questions around what they think different products or things will look like and be in the future. <laughs> and like the answers they come up with are just like so off the wall and amazing and just creative. We talk about planes and travel and cars and different products around the house. Like or every once in a while, I'll be like, you think a toaster is going to be in the future? Like, are we going to be using these things, right? And they're like, you see like the wheels start turning on these kids and they're like, no, and it's going to be this. It's just like this amazing thing. And then the seven-year-old jumps in. It's pretty cool to, it's pretty, it inspires me a ton. Have but, you seen, uh, you've seen the videos where they give the kids a rotary phone and they just like, they smash it. They, they start hitting it. <laughs> it was like high school kids or college kids. Actually, I've seen one of those. Yeah. We're in a completely different time. Totally. Well, Itai, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on the show and the, giving us a little bit of your valuable time talking about Loris. I think what you guys are doing is really just amazing in this space. And I hope if for our listeners out there, go check out the company, check out the technology that they're putting out there. I think it's really making a difference and an impact personally. And I just being in, in the customer experience space for 20 years, like I've seen firsthand how this technology can really be a game changer for organizations. So love what you guys are doing. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see your, you and your company's success. And maybe at some point, we'll have you back on the show at some point. Awesome. I can't thank you enough, Bill. It was really, really fun. Thank you. Awesome. All right, everybody. Another great show. Eat Die Hurts from Loris.ai. Go check them out if you're not familiar. We'll talk to you next week. We're out.
Talk to you soon, Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to Be Customer-Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We'll be right back.